better things to do with my money. Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is the rookie, Chris Dashew. I saw it in the skies. I saw it in the, but I still hate prostitutes, but I still hate them. God, Wojohowicz needs a fuck. He's a woosah moment, my friend. Couple of them. Also coming in, it's the, the, the lieutenant, Mr. Otto Bruno. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I don't even know if there was, was were there any lieutenants in there? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? There is now. Um, there is on this show. Yeah, that that Chris is so. Isn't he so cute and uh, and uh, <laughs> he's so naive? He doesn't he understand that Wojo loves the prostitutes? Oh, is that what it is? It was just it's reverse psychology. Is that what it is? Well, he <laughs> certainly ends up being drawn to them all. That's Damn true. Straight. That's true. He, but then he, but then the he sees aliens. So did you ever hear the phrase "He doth protest too much"? <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's very yeah. fair. Oh yeah. On this episode, we are wrapping up season four of Barney Miller and starting season five. Season four ends with episodes twenty-two and twenty-three. That's the sighting, which was released May. 11th, 1978, and Inauguration, which was released May 18th, 1978. Take a little summer break and then come on back for Kidnapping, which is a two-parter. We'll talk about that as we go along, which was released September 14th, 1978. So let's talk about the sighting, gentlemen. Uh, I was so surprised that we didn't have uh, somebody in here that believed that they were captured by space aliens because we are getting into i mean this is uh not too far after close encounters of the third kind we are definitely in the throes of ufo mania in the united states and wouldn't you know wojohowitz happens to see a cigar shaped uh ship above what was it long island if you no, staten island staten island if you gentlemen were using um, Barney Miller and the files of the old one too <laughs> as your ep- as your episode guide, yes, yes, Chris, I too am a whore. Um, uh, <laughs> I was like, "Fuck, this is the second thing you're saying." I I'm love sur- it. I was, I was honestly expecting it to be the first. I no, absolutely I, love this. It's I, me too. I'm right here. I'm here it, for it. In the episode guide, on page. <laughs> 365 is the sighting. And on page 366, it says close encounters. And I quote, this episode premiered roughly five months after close encounters of the third kind came out. Nice. Wow. Wow. But do you quote the fact that this episode is missing an integral part of the now trio of these kinds of episodes? Where is fucking Kenneth? Tigar. Right. Tigar. Where's he at? He was in the werewolf episode. He was in the ghost episode. And now we have an alien episode, which essentially posits that Diedrich is an alien, which I totally (laughs) believe is actually the case now in this show, which explains a lot. But where's Kenneth Tigar? That's all I'm asking. That's the question that you should be asking in your lovely book by BearManorMedia.com, where you can get this book right now. And you should, because it's really good. And you know what? There aren't enough 600 page books about Barney Miller out there, folks. This is what you want to be reading if you're a fan of Barney Miller. I, I agree. I Thank too you. am a fucking whore, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Well, wait a minute. Wouldn't this make you my pimp? <laughs> <laughs> I saw my pimp today. <laughs> um, no, uh, first of all, you're right. There should be more. Well, now we don't need any more 600 page books. About, <laughs> right. Uh, it is the one. But, you know, no, Ken. 
And I and I Ken. He's on a oh Ken. Ken. My old yes. buddy Ken. Yes. My old pal Kenny T. I do believe Ken pronounces it tiger. So oh, okay. does the, he does pronounce it like the animal. It um, is surprising he's not in this episode, though, right? That's you know that's funny that you say that because I never even thought it. You're right because he's um, he will be possessed by a devil at one point. He, he was. Will, yeah, he's the werewolf. He yep. also is a um, what do you call it? Uh, not ESP. Um, is it ESP? He can like read people's minds. Oh yeah, ESP or yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an episode where he can read people's minds, and then my fate. Like everyone loves the werewolf episode, as do I. But my favorite of all his depictions is this is still to come he pl- he plays jesus christ oh wow <laughs> okay <laughs> a gentleman a guy, he plays a guy who truly truly believes he is jesus christ yeah that's a great great episode which is why i'm wondering why he's not in this episode yeah, because you 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 put wojohowitz in the position of the crazy person which well, right. crazy i mean i'm putting in quote okay this is a video uh, clearly not a video medium uh putting that in quotations because he's not because then it's you know later in the episode oh you know, th- you know how are 300 people saw it or whatever so it's exactly, like yeah he, he's not he's not crazy right he get well not only not only do they have other people confirm that they saw something but they they make it like very obvious to you that the Air Force captain doesn't believe the excuse right. that his superiors are giving him. Right. They're not going to believe that. You know, I'm right. surprised he didn't say it was swamp gas. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weather balloon. Major, yeah. it's a weather balloon. Right. right. I need you to look right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, it's in I New mean, York of all places. I loved this episode. This is a lot. This episode was a lot of fun. This is an interesting episode. This has a lot of a story, a little bit of a B story. And as far as I remember, nobody actually goes into the cage in this episode, which is very odd. I mean, obviously I've seen all these episodes like 15 times or so, but since I finished writing the book, I mean, you can understand I haven't been watching a lot of Barney because I was, I was inundated with it for five years, but, um, I just said to my son again, I said, it still amazes me. I go back. I've seen these things so many times now and I still laugh out loud and I'm sitting here by myself and I'm still laughing out loud. Um, this is it, it. This is really an interesting episode. You're right, because a it introduces us to the characters of Harriet Brower and her husband, uh, Philip Brower, Philip and Harriet Brower, who will return, I believe, two other times after this. Yeah. Wojo's yep. girl and Agent Orange. Yep. So and and he, the the old the the husband, is always getting into something crazier than the time before. But but Chris already mentioned my other favorite part about the sighting, and that of course is is the ending where Dietrich insinuates. Well, he he doesn't even insinuate it. He just says it in a way that that their imaginations and our imaginations run wild. That maybe this explains this guy. Right. It's it's it 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 is the moment where you're like, okay, if this is what he's saying, then like then he is a fucking alien. But it totally explains why he's so weird. Did we? Did you guys cover the episode yet? With um uh. Oh God, Richard Libertini. Oh yeah, we just talked about that recently. The guy who the he's, from the fu- he's from the future. Oh well, in this one, he 
he uh, had a number for a name. He didn't say oh. he was from the future. No, there's another one that he is in. I think he's in a total of three. Yeah. But there's another one that he's in where where he's from the future. And there is a similar type of Dietrich joke in that episode as well, which is one of my favorites as well. I love Dietrich. I mean, Dietrich and and and, and Yamana were always my two favorite. Oh God, yeah. Um, characters. This yeah. whole, I mean, for the last half a season or more, this show has just devolved into a Dietrich love fest. We just <laughs> cannot say enough nice things about him. Yeah, I mean, you know, Steve Landisberg is like the in in my opinion, at least for the fourth season of the show, he's like the unsung hero of the show. Not even yeah, unsung. Like they bad. give him the most they give him the most to do in the season. Uh, understandably so. Almost to the detriment of some of the other like mainstay characters, frankly. And as his wife, his his widow said to me, she's like, you know, he had a lot of dialogue that he mm. had to remember compared to those other guys, you know, because he would go off on these long things. And oh, he, yeah. He says, you know, she says he before that he had not done he had done improv and he had done stand up. So it was it was kind of a new thing for him, but he loved it. He loved it. We should probably also say about this whole the uh, Brower couple that um, both Doris Roberts and uh, Peter Hobbs have been on the show before, though not together. Hobbs right. was in the episode Strike, the the two parter, and Doris Roberts was in the episode Sex Surrogate. Right, and, I remember that. And then he, they are going to come back as the Browers together a few times, but Hobbs is also going to come back as a separate character again later on. I just love the recycling of these uh, great character actors, and Hobbs is one of these where. You probably don't know him by me saying Peter Hobbs, but as soon as you see him or as soon as you hear that voice, you're going to be like, oh, my God. Yeah, I've seen this guy in a thousand things. I mean, he's got 155 credits in his resume. And of course, I think hopefully even in 2022, people immediately know Doris Roberts. I mean, of course, she had a real push later on in life with things like Grandma's Boy and Everybody Loves Raymond. But you know, she just mentioned Grandma's Boy. Oh, hell yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking love that movie. <laughs> I was gonna say that one got way. That one was way over my head. I have no <laughs> idea what Grandma's Boy is. Uh, uh, it's a stoner. It's like a. It's a stoner movie, but she plays oh, okay. like the stoner's grandma, and it's a. Oh. It's it's. It's a very endearing Doris Roberts role. It's oh, okay. really good. Yeah. It's yeah. got some great actors in there too. And like a lot of great older female actors. So like your uh, Shirley Jones, Shirley Knight, other people not named Shirley. They're all in this movie. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, wow. But it's yeah. an Adam Sandler crew movie. So it kind of gets, yeah. it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of like other lesser Adam Sandler crew movies. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Aren't, aren't all Adam Sandler crew movies lesser movies? <laughs> Not necessarily. Not everything. Yeah. There are after some a certain point, after a certain point, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one is, you know, it's definitely better than like your Bucky Roberts, those kind of things. <laughs> oh, Bucky Roberts. What was the other one? Um, Dickie. Oh, Dickie. Dickie. Dickie Roberts? Dickie Roberts? Dickie know. Roberts, former no, child wasn't star. Dick, no, wasn't Dickie Roberts um, the other uh, guy? Uh, David Spade. David Spade, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dickie and you're Roberts right. It was, was Dickie Roberts, yeah. Yeah, but she wasn't in that. No, no. But that was Mary <laughs> McCormick was in that, who is always very pleasant on the eyes. I love Mary <laughs> McCormick. Yeah, I love yeah. her. 
You didn't mention that we've seen Peter Hobbs in something else, Mike, in another one of our shows. He was in to see the Invisible Man. Hell the, yes. Uh, that episode of the Twilight Zone. He's one great. One of the better this. episodes. Yeah. You know, one of the I best know, episodes. Sleeper. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's just been in so many great things. You know, he shows yeah. up a couple times in MASH. He's been in, you know, Lou Grant's nine to five. I mean, he's in the ad couple a bunch of times. Yeah. So many great things. And yeah, as soon as you hear his voice, you'll be like, oh, yeah. And I'm going to have to drop a clip in here because it's one of those like, oh, oh, yeah, I know this guy. If Danny liked somebody, as we I think we probably mentioned this the first time around, he would bring them back. He didn't care. And it, again, it's a different time. So, you know, people didn't have all the shows on a, plat- a platform somewhere where they could just binge watch it straight mm-hmm. through. So, you know, season to season, people, they, they just didn't think about people remembering anybody. He didn't care. He just wanted someone who could, who could give a good performance. And they definitely do. And I'll be honest with you, Otto, like, even if you, I'm not even sure you had mentioned it, but it seems pretty obvious because there are these like, like Kenneth Tiger and Doris Roberts, like they've shown up now a bunch of times. And right. if I'm a showrunner, the last thing I'm going to do is work with people that I don't like to work with. And if someone keeps showing up in these shows, my assumption is they're either easy to work with or they actively like working with those people. Right. You know, that was kind of the thing in, in our Columbo show with some of the people that have shown up are like friends of Peter Falk and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. well, sure, you got Cassavetes and you've got um, Val Avery who shows up in a bunch of Columbo. Oh, yeah. Um, you've got uh, Tim Carey in the first early show, early season, yeah, I guess. Right. And you've got um, Bruno Kirby and his dad. Bruce Kirby. Bruce Kirby. Right. Bruno yeah. was in that one where he's a young cadet or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, but Bruce was in Columbo a lot and he was in Barney four or five times as well. So. I think we've seen him at least once already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and with this, uh, with these two, the Browers, this scheme here is that Philip has sold off all of their stuff, even her clothes, it sounds like, in order to convert everything that they own into gold because he's convinced within two years, there's going to be a huge economic crash. It would almost be as if, you know, something really horrible happened. Maybe call it Reaganomics. Maybe. I don't know. Like a whole like trickling down of wealth that just never actually happens. You know? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, this was still the good old days before Reagan. Yeah. Um, before this is when gas prices were, you know, super high. Kind of like yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> They were like super high, like 79 cents a gallon. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, But uh, no, you know, this is, this is, I'm sure we talked about this the first time I was on about Danny's idea of paranoids with proof. Yes. Right. Right. Well, this was the paranoid with proof for this one. Although they never give you the actual proof in this one. Although Dietrich sort of says, yes, there are a lot of economists who believe this is going to happen. And that apparently that was the case at the time, but both Hal Linden and I'm trying to remember who the other person was who told me this, but they, but Hal said Danny was doing this. He said he wasn't selling his house and everything. He says, but he was buying gold. <laughs> and he said, he tried, he said, he even got me to buy some gold. Oh my God. He, <laughs> Stunning. He was nervous about this. Oh, so wow. that was like right out of that came right out of his life. 
That's funny. I've been saying it for 50 years, folks. 50 years. I love how Dietrich convinces uh, Harris that he needs to get rid of all those blue chip stocks. <laughs> and Harris on the phone to his his uh, broker is fantastic. What you got me in all this paper for? <laughs> paper that'll be useless in a year or two anyways. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, there's, there's, um, oh, it's the same episode with Libertini when he's supposedly a guy who comes from the future and he tells Harris that they like gold crashed in 88 or something like that. <laughs> oh, wow. And he gets him to buy, I think it's, I think it's not copper. It's something else. Oh, I can't remember what it was, but he tries to get him to buy something else. And because this is the kind of thorough writer I am when I did the book, I did the math and said, technically, <laughs> if Harris had bought the copper at that time or the gold, although the gold was way more expensive, percentage-wise, they went up almost exactly the same amount. Oh, wow. So he could have bought way more of the other. Otto's answering the questions you didn't know you even needed to Exactly. Ask. Thank you. I love how... Harris is like, oh yeah, I'll buy some of your gold at the end. It gives him a check for what, $250 and it gets him one coin. A pay a peso. A peso. A, a peso that has like whatever, like one that's one and a quarter ounce gold. Yeah. Right. Well, it'll, at least it'll be easy to count. Yeah. <laughs> they give him all the zingers, man. All the zingers go through Dietrich this season. So By the way, good. and I know, I know Chris. Can't stand my friend um, Ron Carey. We're starting to warm. Starting to to come we're around. warming. We're, we're warming. warming a little yeah. bit. Yeah. In this episode, have you guys ever seen Mel Brooks' History of the World Part One? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. High anxiety. High anxiety. What, Thank yeah. You. High anxiety. I got it. I got it. I got it. I don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always think of when I see this episode. Him and carrying that big box of gold and yeah. the bags and everything. And it's like, you know, when he stands up and he's so sore from carrying, it's like, oh, you got to help them out, Levitt. <laughs> yeah. Levitt, help him out. And he, he like rolls his eyes, gets up and, and holds like his groin. Like, yeah. he, like he already's got a, a hernia or something, <laughs> carrying it up. Yeah. That's what I always think of high anxiety when I see that. Oh, man. I mean, this, it, like, we haven't really even talked about the UFO stuff. I mean, this episode is named after that, but this whole side story with the gold is, is gold. It's fantastic. And yeah. just the way that it runs through the, you know, all of these different characters that it touches so many of the people in the office, because when it comes to the UFO stuff, it's pretty much like the other side of the office. It's, it's the right Barney Miller. It's the Wojo and it's, uh, and it, it, it's nobody else, really. I think it's them and then the Air Force guy. And that's it. That's like a limited, like three person play going on over there. Right. Right. Yeah. And and the you know, it's it's there's really not as much inherent humor in it. I mean, the only humor is, um, you know, the fact that he might have seen a UFO. And, you know, everyone thinks that's so funny. And of course, now it at almost 60 years of age, I think, why did we think all these people who, who said they saw UFOs, why, why did we all assume that those people are nuts while there's billions of people in the world 
believing that there's these various old men in the sky that they believe, you know, that they believe that are controlling their lives and no one blinks about that. But, but, you know, so it's, it's really, you know, there's not as much inherent funny material there. It's just Mm -hmm. Mojo trying to deal with this obviously condescending air force guy. And they get a lot of mileage out of the air force guys hat. That's like, uh, at least two or three jokes about the hat and just the way that you have to look underneath the hat in order to see right. the guy's eyes. Yeah, because he has it so pulled down so far over, mm-hmm. his, over his forehead. I'm surprised yeah. that they never mentioned anything about Carter seeing a UFO because that was a big deal in 73 when Carter, like, you know, reached out and was like, hey, you know, he filed a report with the UFO Bureau in 73 saying, like, I saw a UFO, which was a big deal at the time because he was the president. So it's kind of weird that they are treating it this way. But at the same time, as someone who has their own show about these kinds of things, it's not surprising because it is now just recently that the public tide has turned where people aren't seen as nuts or crazy or psychotic because they've seen UFOs. I mean, some people get branded psychotic or drunks or attention seekers for their entire lives. They used to for for reporting, right. you know, UFO site. Right. Well, I mean, right now with the air, it's like there's a lot of crazy things that people believe. <laughs> well, yeah, believing in UFOs ain't that crazy anymore no, in a lot of ways. It's not. And not only that, but believing in other groups of sentient beings out there is one of the few hopeful things we have going for us. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we, unless they came into contact with us and realized that, you know, zip goodbye. Well, yeah. I, I was, <laughs> haven't you already seen the jokes and people are like, Oh, now we know why they keep passing us by all these years. Because right. <laughs> That's fair. Because we would be laughing at that. We would be <laughs> laughing at the people who saw them like they do with poor Wojohowicz. Yeah. <laughs> So let's move on to the episode inauguration. So this at first, when I saw the title, I was just like inauguration. This is too far from the election of 1980. But no, this is actually the election of uh, Ed Koch, who was the for me, he's the mayor of New York. He was the mayor when I was kind of realized what New York City was and just his whole policies, that whole how am I doing kind of thing, him showing up on Saturday Night Live. It was just like, okay, yeah, Ed Koch, America's mayor kind of thing. Definitely a lot better than Rudy Giuliani. But But not Fiorello LaGuardia because he came into my bedroom last night and he talked to me for 45 minutes. Oh, wow. (laughs) I am jealous of that because I'd love to talk to the little flower. (laughs) What is that? Goes to the second one, right? Second ghostbusters isn't it oh is that why i don't know it because that is why you don't know it i was like i I realized there towards the end i was like mike's not gonna know this because this is ghostbusters 2 the lesser ghostbusters Ghostbusters 2 i've seen ghostbusters 1 more than once my heart rough crowd here but i am but i am quite familiar with Fiorello LaGuardia. <laughs> well, that's what one of the, I think the mayor from the first movie says. He's like, Fiorello LaGuardia came into my bedroom last night and talked to me for 45 minutes. And he's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what, though? I will say this much about this episode. It's a fun episode. It's a fun follow-up to the last one. It's oh, in that yeah. same tone, vein and tone of the last one. There's a lot of stuff going on in this episode. Oh my so God. Let's try to break it down a little bit. So the name of the episode inauguration, this is about Koch coming into the office. So all of the loonies are being rounded up and we're trying to investigate all of these threats that are being made against Koch. 
as the inauguration is just about to be underway. So we've got, all right, we've got Harris. He's working the inauguration and he gets a job offer, which he takes and then rescinds. And there's a lot of tension between him and Wojo about this and a little bit with Barney as well. Yeah. We've got uh, Basil Hoffman as Alan Corbell, who is one of my favorite character actors. Chris, we're going to see him in the Bye Bye Sky High IQ case uh, later on when we talk about it on Columbo, which is a great episode in my mind. We've got the uh, the old lady. Is it Florence Halep that comes in? Yeah. Evelyn Hawley, who we've yeah. seen many times before we talk about reusing character actors so she comes in she's writing death threats to Koch in <laughs> Cran, or she's got the uh the, the stationary <laughs> with skull and crossbones on it so she just constantly is writing poison pen letters uh trying to, to get his attention yeah well it's a great letterhead if you're going to do that yeah. We've got Philip Sterling coming in here, and I'm trying to remember what his deal was. He's Noel Cady. He, he believes that he's the people's mayor. That's right. Right. Oh, the oh duly God. appointed people's mayor. Right, right. And then we have the introduction of who a guy who's going to be a regular character on the show, Officer Zatelli, Dino Natali, who uh, we didn't mention last episode, but we did mention in our last Life and Times of Barney Miller, and I think maybe even the episode before that. Jack Sue has been out of the picture, and we've had these kind of replacements going on. There's no replacement at his desk this time other than Levitt, and he worked the desk last time. He's working the desk this time. He's wearing one of these like Herb Tarlick-type jackets, <laughs> which is fantastic, and... <laughs> Zatelli is filling in for Levitt, and so Levitt has to just lay into him and teach him the ropes, as it were, do everything the Levitt way, which right. is a pretty great running gag in this. Right. right. And 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 Zatelli will later on in the following season has a I mean, his character has a very important, he's part of a very important plot line uh that I won't. I won't give away right now, but um, it's one of the better, uh, you know, more progressive things, uh, storylines in Barney Miller. But first of all, the the whole thing with Levitt and that that suit coat. Oh, uh, I now that's a good one. Herb Tarlick. I didn't think of Herb Tarlick. I thought of it reminded me of something out of Guys and Dolls. Oh, I can Um, see that. But the other thing that I don't know if it was in this episode or the episode before, but when Levitt comes in with the coat and the hat, he reminded me of an old cartoon from when I was a kid called Inch High Private Eye. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there was a Saturday morning Hanna-Barbera cartoon called Inch High Private Eye. And he he was an inch high. I mean, it was, you know. Yeah. You don't, you didn't, we didn't ask questions. We just watched it. But um, he always, that, that, the look of him in that, because he's with the, with the hat and everything, it just reminds me of that. Um, Yeah, you know, poor Lovett. uh, This is the beginning of his real, you know, he wanted that promotion. And as you will see for the rest of the run of the show until the end, he will get continually yanked up and down up and down uh back and forth when they're sh- when when they need extra help uh although you know once sue leaves there will be other uh short-term people that come in but no one ever takes his place no one lasts you know i mean in essence the way it turns out is that dietrich replaces 
in the end, both fish and Yamana. Which really. makes sense. We've talked about this on the show before that Landisberg's style of humor, the dry delivery that he has is very similar to both of those, especially Jack Sue, especially Yamana right. with the little zingers and stuff. And I think it's almost like if Yamana got a, let's say he got a promotion and just was like around more because Nick is a little bit more in the background compared to Dietrich. Dietrich seems to be more foregrounded a lot of times. Right. Well, you know, that's one of the sad things about the way everything worked out. And that is, had Jack lived and remained healthy throughout the entire run of the show, would his character have evolved more the way Harris and Wojo did? Mm -hmm. I mean, as it turns out, it's only Harris, Wojo, uh, and Barney who are with it from um, uh, beginning to end. Um, Which is insanity to me. Like, yeah. Right, but 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 not unlike a real, probably not unlike a real police precinct either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of the saddest things I think is because you wonder, uh, he, he's, he's so brilliant, Jack Sue. And it's just, and, and you forget, you know, you think that, well, yeah, he was there th halfway through this fifth season, but as you say, he was pretty much out half of the fourth season as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So ultimately, he's really there, and and considering the fact that the first season is a, only a half season anyway, he's really only there for three and a half seasons. Mm -hmm. Instead, of, even though he leaves in the middle of season five, so um, yeah, I would I would have definitely liked to have seen what they would have done with his character. Well, I mean, to be fair, I feel like I honestly feel the same way about Gregory Sierra's character. You know, fish, not so much, but because I feel like that character kind of went where it was going to go. But Gregory's here. I kind of feel the same way. Like, I, I wish he had never left this show. I wish he had never left because he brought a different energy to this show that I think in a lot of ways, this show would have been a little different with Gregory Sierra through shit even through this season i mean right. again if he had walked away at this season this would be an entirely different show because i still remember that episode where uh gregory sierra where chano kills somebody and that's like the where did that even come from like that's you know what i would still contend that that's one of the better kind of beats of this entire show mm -hmm. is showing that which is a pretty mature take on a pretty you know serious topic i'm not saying the show never gets back to it because it has but yeah it this show really is kind of plagued by some unfortunate things with the people involved the main cast members i guess right i would say that that you know other than that episode where chano kills the two the two bank robbers they only will get that serious again one other time in the whole rest of the series. I mean, there are, they have serious subjects that they cover. I mean, the agent orange is a, which they'll talk about later on is a definitely a serious episode. But one of the things that I always liked about Barney, unlike a show like mash, for example, is that Barney could touch upon serious subjects, but still be funny while they were, while they were incorporating a serious subject matter into it. And mash, couldn't, in my opinion, they got very maudlin and very preachy, you know, and I, I just kind of turned me off because it wasn't, you know, I, I originally tuned in to, to watch a sitcom and it just, you know, they were, they were proselytizing too much. But in Barney, it is, it's interesting that you reminded me about that Chano episode because that episode is very serious. There's only one other episode that isn't still in the future for you guys. 
uh, having to do with with that always happy subject matter of a Nazi, which mm. uh, still back in those times was a bad thing to be. Unlike 2022, you know, we still look down at Nazis in the 1980s. So, um, yeah, Indiana Jones hadn't kicked their ass just yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're a couple years removed from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 strange to me because the the show does have an episode called rape and it's not a very serious episode. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the most serious that we've gotten lately, Chris, was when Barbara Berry showed back up and we made remarks yeah. about how there are times where there's no laughter and you don't get the zingers because we're treading some rocky ground with that. But I mean, of course, it's nowhere near somebody being killed. We really took the show to task for the mishandling of her character coming back to then go away again. Right. <laughs> yeah, that um, go away. I get a for good. It would seem right. Right. Yeah. Because after have they started? I'm not. Have they started where they where they split up yet? They're pretty close if they haven't. I mean, we, yeah. The last episode she was in was Quo Vadis, the one where it's, you know, she comes to him and, you know, it's the the robber's wife is worried about him. And they they kind of pair that up against Barney's wife is worried about him. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. OK, is that the one with um, uh, Dulligan with John Dulligan? And he says to her, give her, give him, a, give him a break. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. Yep. It's so she strange. What, she knew what she was getting in for at the beginning. That exactly. One. Yep, yep. That one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's super, it's super strange. Yeah. yeah. It's super. It's a super strange way of handling her character. Cause and you know, some I, things they didn't have a choice on how to handle them. And then other things they made these like tacit decisions to kind of mishandle it. Right. And, and I should probably clarify what I just said. I don't mean that there were only two serious episodes. Oh, no. What I mean is that there's really, and technically even the channel episode wouldn't count as it, but th- this episode that you guys have not gotten to is the one episode that I, I don't, there's almost like no laughs in it at all. It's So it's a very, it's a real outlier for Bar- for Barney because there's like almost no laughs in it whatsoever. Now there is one other episode that has no laughs, but that wasn't on purpose. That was that was Wojo's Girl Part Two, which is the worst episode in Barney Miller. Oh boy, uh, canon in my opinion. But you know what I find again amusing about this show, and and something I noticed in inauguration that kind of puts it in a different category. This is one of the few episodes where they use a applause beat. Mm which is very infrequently used. And they use it for one when uh, Ron Glass is like, uh, I, 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 they offered me a job and I took it so long. And it's like, yeah, dee-dee, clap. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> clap track? That was, there's a clap track in this episode, which there's not there. I don't think there isn't very many, if ever. Which, by the way, shows you that it was, it was not in front of a live studio audience. It was just sweetened because had it been in front of a live studio audience back in those days, you would have gotten the ooh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The audience would have gasped. Which is funny because they really don't uh, do anything with it <laughs> in the episode right. at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. It's as soon because this could have been your season cliffhanger. Like, oh, is Harris going to be back next season? You know, it would have been a perfect time for them to be like, oh, it looks like he's going to work for Koch. And then in the next episode, then you hit him with a real good zinger about, well, Ed wanted me to do his laundry and all that kind of stuff. But 
yeah, that they just, they miss that opportunity because they wrap this whole thing up so quickly. See, but I'm one of those guys who I'm watching some shows now and it's like, that's how television has become. Now you always have to end every season on a cliffhanger. Right. And because I grew up in a different time, I find that to be extremely annoying and like manipulative and it kind of pisses me off. So I like to have, you know, it's a sitcom world. I don't expect it to be real. I like things, you know, wrapped up at the end, even though Barney has a lot of open ended things where they say that's what it is. We can't, we're not really going to have an answer for it. It's just the way things work. I don't have a problem with that kind of stuff, but the, 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 this constant manipulation that goes on in television now, and there's some great shows, but it's just constantly, you know, everything's, uh, they're hanging by a string. I mean, it's like the old serials in the thirties, you know, um, he didn't get out of the cockadoodie car. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, but that's just my own personal, uh, I mean, I, th- I just don't think it has a place in this kind of show. But then at the same time, like this, but this show also, like we've mentioned, it's kind of in this weird in-between because it's, it is a comedy, but then there are moments where it's like, there's still cops. Like, right. It's like, we haven't heard about Harris's apartment since he got the new place. You know, like it was such a big deal about him getting this new place, but it's like, we don't continue with that storyline. Maybe next season we'll get a mention, but it's like that is wrapped up now. So we yeah. start and stop. We don't continue every episode and hear like, oh, geez, now I got to worry about this or that. But again, I do think that has something to do with the fact that producers and showrunners and things like that didn't think about those things back then because there was not, you know, there was syndication, but there was, I mean, at this point in time, we're in, I think, what, 1978, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the VCRs and those things are just coming out, just coming out. So there was never those producers who started, you know, Danny started in the 50s on television. So they just didn't think about those things. It was not it was like um, it was like the like chewing gum. You know, you chewed it, you got your flavor out of it and you threw it away. Right. You didn't expect people to keep going back and chewing that same piece again. Well, it's interesting, too, because this is all so much a one set show that after a while, like you can hear about Harris's apartment and how he's being driven crazy by Dietrich when they're living together. But we never see it. You know, we just hear about it. So if Harris like had problems with his pipes or, you know, a landlord issue or something, it would all be told to us. We would never actually see it. Right. Exactly. And what's wild about this show is how well it works. Yeah. Because a lesser show would not be able to pull this off. A exactly. single set show. I mean, there are shows that are contemporaries of this show that aren't even doing it. I mean, Welcome yeah. Back, Cotter, MASH. Those aren't single set shows. Right. This is, I mean, we at, at this point have resigned ourselves, not, not in a negative way. We're never going to see anywhere else. Right. When we see somewhere else, it's going to be such so surprising. We take note of it. But in the first season, first couple seasons of the show, they we did go a couple. We saw Barney's apartment. We saw Fish's apartment. We saw a stakeout house at one point. 
we've seen them go some places, but since I think recently we saw the, um, it wasn't strike. It was the, and it the squatters, right? The squatters. Yeah. I'm trying it to remember. It was the last time we saw uh, eviction. That yeah, was right. just a couple episodes ago where yeah. Barney goes and talks to the group of, uh, yeah, but that he, was like surprising that he left and went somewhere and we actually saw it. Right. The, the, the only two times that you ever saw Barney's apartment were season one and stakeout was season one. <laughs> so those were all in those first 13 episodes. And then, yeah, you have the ones where he talks to the, to the tenants, you will have um, the big one that you'll have. A, that's, you know, speaking to you from the future. Ooh, where, <laughs> where Harris and Dietrich go on a stakeout themselves. Just to, no, they don't go on a stakeout. I take it back. They don't want to say out. They go and they're they're um, guarding a, a witness. They're acting a witness, but that's out of the office. Landisberg was outside of the office at one point already at Fish's apartment. Is that right? Right. We interacted with Fish's daughter. That was end of season two or something. Or yeah, yeah. I think that yeah. The, the times that they leave are very very rare in 171 episodes. And to your point about reruns, I mean. Yeah, in syndication, the old rule, and I don't know if it's still this way, but the old rule used to be you couldn't get syndicated. Your reruns couldn't be syndicated until you hit 100 episodes. And we're only at episode 80 with this one. Right. And Danny being Danny, he could have pissed off anyone at any moment and and just pulled, you know, pulled out and said, forget it. I'm not making any more. Right. So. Yeah, you're right. So, Chris, you mentioned the Quo Vadis episode, and that has something in common with these two episodes that we've talked about so far, which is the director, Alex March. And right. as far as I know, and please correct me, Otto, since you are, you know, the man from the future, I don't think that Alex March had directed any episodes before that, and I don't think he's going to direct any more after it. It becomes really like, you know, Gnome Pitlick has already been like the man but I think the next two seasons are almost exclusively directed by Gnome Pitlick. I think there's another Max Gale episode out there, a couple of them, but almost everything else is Pitlick. Yeah, I, I, I can. Yeah, I, I couldn't find much of anything on Alex March when I was doing the research. And I can I can definitely confirm that that going forward, Pitlick only becomes more important and more integral to that to that group um this is this is season four right yeah this is season four so next the next season that we're about to begin is danny's last season at the helm of the show before he is forced to step down for two years because of health issues so i'm sure that gnome because i was told by other people uh, because because when i would talk to people i'd get kind of like mixed messages i said well gnome was like the director of most of the episodes. And then some people would say, well, yeah, but Danny always kind of directed, even if no one was there. But then later on, Tony Sheehan said to me, well, yeah, he says that's sort of true. He said, except when Danny was gone, he said, we depended a lot on Gnome because mm. he had been around from the beginning and he was so talented and he was a little older than all of us. And he, he was great with the actors and all that. So, so definitely in season six and seven, in fact, in season six and seven, you can you can make the assumption that Gnome was so important that when Danny came back in season eight, that's when Gnome left. Oh wow! Even though it, even though it had been Danny who who put Gnome in that position, and they by all accounts they had a good relationship, 
But that kind of confirms to me in my mind that no one figured, well, Danny's going to be back. So my directing duties, quote unquote, are not going to be the same as they have been for the last two years. So then he, he did not direct. If you look, he didn't direct anything in season eight. He was gone completely in the last season. Wow. So yeah, season six and seven, he was extremely important. And season five, my guess would be that he was starting to take over, you know, starting to have a little more autonomy in that area than he had had previously. So let's talk about the beginning of season five, which I said before, this is a two-parter, but this is not like the two-parters that we've had before were like strike and eviction. I thought that something was wrong at first when I was watching this episode, because I was like, wait a second. They didn't take a break. This episode feels kind of long. What's going on? Like, where's the the credits? Did I miss the credits? What's happening? But so this was two. It was, it's a two-parter in syndication, but the reality is it was a single hour episode that opened. It was a season premiere episode and they opened with a special one hour episode. And when I was doing the research, I wasn't sure about it either. And I tracked down that TV guide so that I could confirm that it was a one hour episode that week. And that's what it was. So it was a season open, season open special of one hour, basically. And then they cut it for syndication, obviously, into two episodes. It's kind of a familiar episode. It feels like we've seen some of these beats before. Chris, you mentioned way back at the beginning as we were talking about this, that here we have yet another prostitute. Oh my <laughs> God. This is like the greatest hits of Barney Miller. Like you could <laughs> you could show this singular episode to someone and be like, this is the show. And if someone was into it, into it with this episode, be like, oh, go check out some more. But if they didn't get it, like you probably don't need to watch anymore because it kind of has like a lot of the beats. There's like a big overall beat, but then there's like the smaller sex worker thing. And then there's the hitting on one of the characters thing, which kind of happens from time to time. It kind of has all. And then it has a has a a guy in the the cell as well. It kind of has everything. If this is a way you open the season, the fifth season, like everybody must have been really happy because this is one of the better episodes of the show that we've seen. I think period. Right. Even though if it goes a little return to the king at the end, just the ending goes on forever. Some of those characters should have had an Irish goodbye and just fucking left. (laughs) No, I don't need to listen to you on the way out. Just leave. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, it's interesting that Barry Youngfellow, who unfortunately just passed away back in March, I grew up watching her on It's a Living. It's a Living, yes. Yeah, and I'm watching this show, and I'm just like, my God, why do I know this woman? Who, you know, she's so familiar. And then finally, I'm like, oh yeah, It's a Living, and she's fantastic on that. She's the one that plays the prostitute, and. It's Marcia. like Marsha with, and, the funny, with the funny name, Marsha Dixon or Dixon, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit show for real. Yeah. And then, but they, and they put a laugh track in when he says it, they put the, they said Ron Kerry goes Dixon, Marsha. <laughs> Chris, I, I never even thought of that till just now. I think you have a dirty mind. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I thought she was going to be one of these prostitutes that we've seen before on the show where it's the innocent woman who is trying to get more attention from her husband and ends up becoming a prostitute just so she can interact with people. One of those, but no, she's got a pimp. She's definitely, you know, very, very much a professional working gal. So yeah, that, that actually, that was the only part about her thing that bothered me was the pimp and the pink Cadillac. That didn't, 
or the pink continental. It didn't strike me that she would have a pimp and a pink continental. I wouldn't think so. No, she seems much more like an independent producer and just, yeah, that was kind of weird. And yeah, of course we've got Wojo being kind of a dick to her, but then of kind course, of a dick. yeah, very much a dick to her. But then of course, you know, being nice towards the end to the point where it's almost like, yeah, they're probably almost going on a date. So the main part of this, where we get our title from kidnapping is from the owner of Siegel's department store being kidnapped. Mr. Siegel. I don't know if he's got a first name or not. Harold J stone who shows up in the second episode and this, the kids come in. Oh, by the way, I should say Jack Sue is back looking pretty good. So there's no Ron Carey. And I think it's kind of good that there's no Ron Carey because of the two siblings. And of course, I think we've had this before where we've got the fighting siblings. Like there's a lot of similar beats. See what I mean? The best of Barney Miller. There's Beverly Saunders, who's Lorraine Siegel. And then her brother is Todd Sussman, who's Andrew Siegel. And I don't know about y'all, but my God, he looks like Levitt to me. And he looks about the almost just a little bit taller. It's like, I would like to see him and Levitt standing next to each other. Oh, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. I I mean, is it just me? No, I I see. They have the same kind of T area with their nose and brow line. They totally do. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I just love his characterization uh, as Andrew Siegel. <laughs> and so I love his interaction with, with the prostitute, with Marsha. I mean, you know, it's obviously someone who's who has not received a lot of nurturing or affection at home. <laughs> I love the part where she says, he, he says something to her like, um, Marsha, that's a pretty name. She's like, it was actually Marshall. It's like my father wanted a son. And he says, so did mine. Ah. Remember that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like that sums up his entire character when he says that. Yeah, I think I think both he and Beverly Sanders were great uh, in this. Uh, oh, in this she's show. fantastic. She's another one of these where you just look at her and you're like, oh my god, I've seen this woman in so many things. She's got this great voice, and the way that she is just horn dog and after Harris is fantastic, which again, we've seen this before. So it's, it's kind of like, I think Chris, every once in a while we run into these like recycle episodes, but again, uh, uh, um, I know it sounds crazy now, but it's 1978. That's still kind of progressive in 1978 that a white woman is, you know, is obviously making passes at this handsome black man. So, you know, that, was not happening a lot <laughs> on well, the most handsome one in the precinct by like a well maybe Hal Linden's just a little less that is the mustache That's just really a scotch just yeah. a scotch but yeah no Harris is definitely the most handsome man in the precinct right yeah yeah, yeah. so those uh, close-up shots of Landisburg he's a good looking guy yeah oh yeah Do- dorky looking guy <laughs> but the way he carries himself is just you know the it. way he carries his shoulders you know there's yeah. just something about him I really like the thing that I always disliked in the show was there was an episode, you know, there's a two episodes. One, You know how like basically ultimately everyone will end up in the woman's clothing for the mugging duty. Oh God. Yeah. There's the episode with fish. I mean, if you, if you, I hate to even remind you this cause you might have nightmares tonight, but then there's the episode where Dietrich dresses as a woman and they all act like he is by far the ugliest one that's ever <laughs> dress on and i'm like what he's not even close do you remember what fish look like not to remember not to mention the time that 
that Wojo got attacked by the guy and Wojo's, first of all, he's, he is not a handsome woman and he's sweating like a pig. And I'm like, I just thought that that particular the whole thing where they given Dietrich a hard time for how ugly he was as a woman. I'm like, please. God, the only one that ever looked good was Harris. They haven't done that in a long time. I mean, it has been, I think, since one of the last times Fish was on the show. So it's well, I can guarantee you that everyone except Barney. Uh, well, no, actually, everyone except Barney and and uh, Jack Sue. Everybody except yeah. Barney and Jack Sue will don the dress at some point. Yeah, that's simply right. Jack, simply stunning. Jack Sue never. You're right. Now that I think about it, Jack Sue never got the call either. <laughs> So he never shows up like that. Yes. And the guy that you're talking about being in the cage in this one is the great uh, Stefan Gearish. Yes. Who, um, it shows up numerous times in the course of the Barney Miller uh, years. I think he's, I think he shows up five times maybe. Oh and yeah. He's been on the show once already. Yeah. The interesting thing is in this episode, his name is Glansman, Mr. Glansman. And the name of the real life New York City police officer who was the advisor was Paul Glansman. That was the name of the, of the real life New York City cop was Paul Glansman. And that's this character's name is Glansman. And his whole tirade when we first meet him, that is eerily 2022, isn't it? Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Yikes. That's all I'll say is when I watched this and I saw that, I'm like, holy shit, this is 40 years old and it could have been made last night. Oh, yeah. With his ranting and raving about not apologizing for being a white man and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, Oh, my God. Middle aged white man, too. Just so we know. Yeah. Middle aged white man. Middle aged white man. Middle class. um, uh, And then don't make any assumptions about me. Right. Then he, says, then he says about Harris, I thought he was a looter. Um, it's real bad. It's real bad. Yeah. yeah. He's a real loser. I love when he's in the cage and Dietrich starts taunting him. <laughs> and there's that whole thing. He's like, you know, how cultured he is. He's like, uh, uh, what's he say? Something about like, what kind of wine would you have with possum? <laughs> Red. Well, no, that's, <laughs> no that's the that's the other oh, guy. That's my the, bad. That's so the sorry. that's the southern asshole. Oh, that's Fred Sadoff. That's Thank Fred Sadoff, who's also in a number of Barney's as well. Yes. Also, soon to be in uh, a Rankin on Bass episode as well. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in a Marco Polo musical, apparently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sorry. I was mixing up one white asshole with another white asshole. <laughs> Does Ralph Monza count as a white asshole? No, don't. <laughs> no. Ralph Monza is also great in this show. It's like this third time now, Ralph third Monza of like seven is... or eight times. Oh, yeah. This is the second and last time he plays somebody other than Mr. Roth. Oh, I love him so much. And I love just his, he's so old and so decrepit and he's got the arthritis and <laughs> just can barely drive the car. Right. No, I, Ralph Monza's character of Mr. Roth, who I'm, I'm, I think you have seen already, but he'll oh, yeah. come back is probably my all time favorite Barney character. I mean, when he when he when we're introduced to him as the shoplifter uh-huh. and, and he said, what made you think you could get away with it? And he's like, I'm blind. No one expects a blind guy to steal from you. <laughs> 
He's I love him. Best. I love Ralph Manza. Absolutely love Ralph. Manza. I mean, we just saw him recently, or I was just editing that episode because I remember him walking down the hallway like he's escaping. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> or no, he didn't walk. It didn't he? There was a guy in a wheelchair, I think, that was trying to escape. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Henry Slate. Yes. That's Henry yeah. Slate, who's that's his only time on Barney. And Henry Slate, if any of if any of the listeners um, love to watch like uh, Don Rickles on YouTube and like his old Tonight Show appearances, Don Rickles will always say he started at Slate Brothers, which was a nightclub run by the Slate Brothers, who had been like a, a song and dance comedy team in the 30s and 40s. And Henry Slate was one of those brothers. I love it. I love how it all comes together. Yeah. Well, and yeah. speaking of coming together, our good friend Father Malone does a Banachek podcast, and Ralph Monza is on a fair amount of episodes of Banachek playing the same character. Yeah. Jay. He's his driver, Jay. Yep. Nice. So, yeah. Hopefully, he does a better job there than he does here protecting Banachek. <laughs> Well, I mean, look at we can you you see Ralph Monza. How much is how good is he gonna be protecting anybody? Not yeah, good. The most useless of, of chauffeurs that can't do anything. He could he could be Levitt's father in terms of height. Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> right? true. Yeah. And hey, Lou and Luger's here. Fucking A, Luger's back, man. It's been a while. This is a fabulous Luger episode because it's one of those episodes where he literally has no he- real help. To offer, he's just makes Barney's job harder. Yes. Yeah. And Which, to the, be fair, is most of the time he does anything. Well, it's like the uh, FBI guy that shows up who has nothing to do. He's just like, well, if they cross state lines, then I can get involved. Right. <laughs> and of course, they're all they're all kind of nervous about him anyway because he's so young. Right. No one wants to deal with him because he's so young. So uh, I and know they, the feeling. Yeah, I think he says he'll be 28 in October or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, is that the one? The woman? She's like, how old is he? How old is he? Right. Jesus. Yeah. Christ. I mean, what? You're almost that age, Chris. Four years older than that. Oh wow! Holy shit! So base baby that that FBI agent's rather baby face. He's baby face. Hey, baby face. (laughs) (laughs) I've no. I genuinely find this to be a if. If again, if this is a one hour opener, it is a very good episode. Yeah, I know. It I've been kind just, of bagging on it that it's but recycling. it is recycling. It is. But like, that's that's why I'm saying like, it's kind of like the best of Barney Miller, because it is just recycling all these beats we've seen before and kind of pressing them together into a loaf like consistency for easy enjoyment. OK, I'm going to defend the recycling on on one level, and that is part of the point of Barney Miller was the mundane nature of police work. The fact that they were dealing with similar type of people, like all these crazy people every day. I mean, it's kind of like what we were taught in screenwriting class, that there's only like six or seven stories. And the only thing that changes is your take on that story. So in that sense, I mean, I'm sure they didn't have... If you were working in a police station for eight years, I'm sure you would not have seen a, a, a hooker only one time. You were going to see hookers over and over again uh, in Greenwich Village in the 1970s. Um, just That's like, fair. 
drugs, you know, people who were selling grass or people who were, you know, snatching purses or whatever it is. I mean, that that's part of the point of Barney is that it was a mundane look at police work as opposed to the, the guns a, a, bla- a, a blast in a way, you know. So that's fair. And that is, I, I think for me, that is one of the reasons I appreciate the show so much is because it is so different. And like we've heard, you know, I think you probably mentioned it last time you were on and we've said it before. This is the show that cops really appreciate because it speaks to what it's actually like to be a cop in a lot of ways. Exactly. Yeah. Boring. Right. Right. That's what they all it's like they being all a are. fireman. A lot of fucking sitting around and waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, except the firemen. The fireman, and I say this only because my brother-in-law was is a retired fireman, but the firemen at least can sit around and cook. That's know, all that's they right. fucking do, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sit around and cook and eat. That's all. All the firefighters I've ever known, it's like, I'm going to the firehouse to eat. So have a home. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they, they have kitchens in the firehouses. That's I, the difference. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I know a lot of people have been on like um, Top Chef that have started it as firemen. You know, they they. Yeah start there and they perfect their skills and they actually end up going to other places and just becoming cooks. Yeah. yeah. You're cooking for a lot of people, but Thanks, Hey, they sir. make, they make coffee in the, in the precinct. I yeah, they do. They <laughs> left and, be, and wrote a fireman's cookbook. So yeah, they're that's, that's what they do pretty much. They either put out fires or start fires in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. If you, uh, to your point, Chris, like if you had never seen an episode of Barney Miller before, you could do way worse than starting with kidnapping because this oh, is yeah. kind of a reintroduction of the show. It's a good place to begin season five because we really are doing this kind of greatest hits thing. And we're also talking about, you know, kind of the nature of what's going on and, you know, economically, this is, towards the end of 78 and so this whole thing of how they kidnap the owner of this department store and the kidnappers are like oh you need to you know open up the doors and let everybody come in for free and i love how nick is there trying to figure when Barney tells him like i need you to go through the list and come up with all the potential suspects of who this could be and i love when nick's just like well maybe the young republicans <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, finds that he wants him to go well first thing he said he he, ha- he gives him this whole list huge of things to look like files to pull and well and uh nick just says to him uh barn wouldn't it be easier to just find the guy right but then later on he goes nick have you found anything and he's like i got this young republicans <laughs> uh, yeah yeah nick nick was way ahead of his time <laughs> he knew the group to watch out for didn't he <laughs> Oh man! I like these both. All these episodes. Well, the the inauguration episode and this episode are are two episodes where um, I always said I found it interesting that Barney had so many things in it that were you kind of had to know the time, like you're saying uh, Ed Koch. But in that Koch in that inauguration episode, they also mentioned John Lindsay because because what's his name basil hoffman is so high he's like is that john Lindsay, who was the, <laughs> who was the former mayor he was like the playboy mayor of new york city in the late 60s and early 70s right and they also mentioned bess meyerson who was a miss america like in 1950 something and then she ended up working for ed Koch, and then she ended up 
getting arrested for some kind of white collar crime, which was a big controversy at the time. But it's like all these things, like if you don't know it, this is all stuff that's kind of just going over people's heads. And in the kidnapping episode, I mean, I would hope, I mean, at, at, at our time, I knew who Bruno Hoffman was. Right. Uh, yeah. The Lindbergh kidnapper and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I, maybe not, I don't know how many of my peers would have known that at the time. But I'm trying to remember when the whole, oh God, who was the really rich kid that they just made that move? Well, Eddie just, no, no, I'm thinking of um, uh, all the money in the world, that whole story of J. Paul Getty's grandson. J. Paul oh, Getty's Getty. grandson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't remember when the Getty kidnapping was. But it feels like, I mean, it feels like kidnapping was kind of in the air, not as much as like hijacking planes, but definitely something that was, you know, I can't say fairly popular, but it was something that was in the news a lot. This is weird, but I will tell you that although I don't remember off the top of my head when he was kidnapped, I can tell you that it's mentioned in my book Ah. because, because in one of the episodes the woman who he, the, the grandson was married to, it plays a part. She's an act. She was an actress in one of the Barney episodes. Oh wow! And she didn't speak in the in the episode. She doesn't speak English. She speaks German. And I, I'm a, I'm pretty sure it's Dietrich who talks to her and who translates everything. Big surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I say, what a shocker that is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I do know, I don't remember the date off the top of my head, but I do know that that, that, that the Getty kidnapping is mentioned in, in the book, in the Barney book. Jeez. <laughs> so, yeah. And the other, I, oh, I do also just want to quickly mention, because um, we flew past him before too, was uh, Philip Sterling. Because how, you know how Chris was saying at the beginning of how Ken Tiger always played these like supernatural type characters. Philip Sterling, who played like the people's mayor, um, always played these older middle-aged guys who were like unraveling, like having these nervous breakdown type. If you remember the, I think the first time we're introduced to him, he's the guy who crawls under the desk and won't come out from underneath the desk. Oh yeah. 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 And you'll see him again later on where he had been the ho- he had been a hostage. And it's really he always plays these. He plays a judge at one point who kind of snaps. But he always plays these characters who kind of like are, are losing their grasp on reality, but does so in such a kind of poignant and, uh, and uh, sympathetic way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting how, yes, that's like real good old fashioned character actors who played the same kind of character, even if they weren't playing the same character. Right. Like in Peter Hobbs' case, Brower, you know, he's always doing the same types of things, but he's still the same character. Whereas these other ones with Tiger and with, with um, Sterling, they're playing the same types of character, but they're not the same person. Uh, so it's kind of, it's like kind of a, a throwback to the old, uh, studio system of films where you had character actors who well yeah you know that guy's gonna play the gangster that guy's gonna play the farmer that guy you know right all that stuff so 
I just had to get that out because I love Philip Sterling. I think he's one of the unsung, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's not, he wasn't as well known as some of these other character actors, but he was fabulous in, in all the Barneys he did. So we've mentioned it several times, but we really need to bang this drum about your book, the stories from the old one too. And like Chris said, it's available on bearmanormedia.com and it is available on amazon.com. It's available where your better books are sold. Barney Miller and the files <laughs> of the old one too. And this thing, you could kill a small child with this book. It's a big old book, folks. Like I was saying, you're going to get your money's worth out of this one. Jesus, yeah. 600 pages. It's, you know, that way you have something to protect you at late at night when you're reading the book. And, you know, you always have it handy to defend yourself. Or your show. If you love Barney Miller, you can. Oh, I'm opening to page 465. Well, you know, the funny thing is... At the beginning of the research for this book, I I was not intending on having a very um, a, a very big uh, episode guide. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if people want that. And then I asked some some fans. I'm like, well, what do you guys? What would you want to see? And everyone said, oh, we want a good episode guide, a really good. You know, I'm like, okay. So then the episode guide, as you guys now well know, is the biggest part of the book. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, like the stuff before the episode guide is like 200 and something pages. And the episode guide is like 300 and something pages. So, um, but I'm happily surprised that people have written to me or said on Facebook or, you know, that they've been, they've been watching the show with the book. So they look at the episode guide after they watch the episode or before or whatever. I would, I would hope you would read it after you watch the episode. Um, I think you, and I think we talked about this before where like with the hash episode that we've all seen millions of times, uh, I didn't want to put all the funny lines right in the episode guide. I mean, I put a couple, but I, I sat in there and like, I'm not going to write them all because you guys got to go just watch the episode, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, I, I've been happily surprised by the response so far. So that's good. All well, good. good. Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic book. I cannot read all of it because like you just said, I'm saving so much of it here. You know, we're, we're we have to top off at, you know, season five, we can't really dig too deep. So I'm hoping that we can have you back on a more regular basis, you know, at least once a season. So you can correct all the bad things that we've said, but hopefully now we won't say anything bad because we've got your book as a guide. It's right there, man. It's right there. Yeah. All (laughs) the answers are in my book. (laughs) Not all the answers. Actually, the funny, you know, that's the worst part. Now it's all out there now it's done. And now I think, Oh shit! I didn't say that, or oh, I should have mentioned that, or oh, I should have mentioned this. So you gonna release an amended version uh, with an all new introduction by the author? That would be up to the publisher, and I, I just don't see a second version of this coming out. But uh, who knows? I don't know. Twentieth anniversary edition. Just gonna uh, wait twenty I, years. Yeah, we're we're what are we? We're um, three three years away from fiftieth anniversary of the first episode. This year is the fortieth anniversary of the end of the series. Wow! Because it mm. ended in eighty two, so this is the fortieth year of that. But the it premiered in seventy five, so we still got three years before that uh, that date. So, well, I'll tell the publisher Chris that you might be willing to back that project. I ah, yeah, back it. Well, you have the backing of the internet's favorite Barney Miller podcast. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Perhaps, That's all I need, perhaps the internet's only Barney Miller podcast. Uh, You're goddamn right. 
<laughs> I think so. I think so. By the way, you know, I've listened, and Mike knows that I've listened to a lot of the um, Projection Booth episodes. I haven't listened to the Rankin Bass yet because there's only really three or four Rankin Basses that I even care about. And three of them are Christmas ones. So I'm waiting to listen to them now around Christmas time. So there's so much more. I know. So many more depths to plumb with Rankin and Bass. You can't even begin to imagine. I, you know, I oh, have to Lord. say, I, did, I was on there one day looking at your son. I was surprised. <laughs> I, I mean, all someone has written a book about Rankin and Bass stuff like you did for Barney Miller. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. All I knew when I was all we knew was like Rudolph, Santa Claus coming to town and uh, is Frosty. Frosty. Yeah. Yeah. Frosty. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all we that's all I knew and, and cared about then. I never saw it when it first came out. It wasn't until years and years later that I saw the Mad Monster Party one. Does it really hold up? At least when you're an adult. I mean, no. You want uh, me to we, were, we were so excited. Yeah. I think you know if what? I saw it when I was eight, I'd fucking eat that shit up with a spoon, man. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As an adult, though, first time viewer, force me to eat that shit. Yeah. With a spoon, man. Oh, boy. No, the um, the only thing I will say is that Rudolph, I was one of the like, I felt like a like like a misfit. A misfit. Yes. There you go. Why am I such a misfit? (laughs) Because I would watch Rudolph and I think, why isn't anyone calling out what an asshole Santa Claus is? (laughs) Right. He's kind of a prick. He's a total prick. He's not kind of. He he is. He's an absolute asshole, as is Comet. I mean, he's he's no great shakes either. Yeah. And. And I never understood that. Like all the time when I was a kid, I never understood. That's why my favorite was always the other was always uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. And of course, I love Frosty because of Jimmy Durante. I'm a huge Jimmy Durante fan. Well, Chris I, doesn't even know who Jimmy. I know who Jimmy Durante is. Yeah. How dare you? He's <laughs> all about Mrs. Calabash, wherever she is. I know who Lumonti is, baby. Come on. Whoa, look at that. My Dude, my mom is a full-blooded Italian, Otto Bruno. My mom's you, maiden name is Sassania, brother man. You know who Lou Monty is? Yes, jiggity janky, honky honk, Dominic the Donkey, baby. <laughs> Dominic the Donkey, but how about, do you know Pepino? Oh, Pepino the Mouse? Yeah, Pepino <laughs> the Italian Mouse. Oh, yes. yeah, I remember. Yeah, the, the little uh, creepy little mouse, right? I yeah. had the uh, Goofy Gold that had the Pepino song on there. Yeah, you you uh, you scare my girl. You eat my cheese. You even drink my wine. I try <laughs> so hard to catch you, but you trick me all the time. What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> oh, it's a fantastic song, Chris. You don't know Lumanti until you know Pepino the Italian Mouse. I oh, know yeah. the mouse. I've seen the creepy, weird, strange little mouse puppet. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're in for a treat. <laughs> You're thinking of Topo Gijo. Oh, yeah. No, I am thinking of Topo Gijo. Yeah, you're right. Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Or as my grandmother used to say, that's Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, What what would my mom say? Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Italians. Am I right? Yeah. Dime a dozen. Those folks. First of all, how can you be Italian? Don't you live in the freaking Dust Bowl of Kansas or something? Dude, my mom. half Italian. Just the good half. Hey, hey, my mom grew up in the North Beach of San Francisco, dude. Oh, that's Italian. Yeah, it's a, that's Italian. <laughs> now, if she was north, if she was north 
in, in, in San Fran, she could have, can I assume happily that she might've even been Sicilian? Uh, she's from Tuscany. Mm. Oh no. Okay. Are you Sicilian? Uh, all, all four grandparents were, were from Wow. That explains so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so explains so much. So don't cross me. Adam's <laughs> a made guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. give it. Don't give me that malicious. I am a made guy. I just made some pasta tonight. That's right. <laughs> it was, uh, was put egg noodles with ketchup. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> That's disgusting. Exactly. That's disgusting. On the next episode of The Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller, we are continuing our look at season five. We're going to be talking about The Search, Dog Days, and The Baby Broker. And we've got the kind of the greatest hits here, all directed by Nopit, like like we talked about. We've got uh, Tony Sheehan, Reinhold Ouija, and... Tony Sheehan writing these episodes. So we are in for a treat, I am sure. And I'm really looking forward to how we progress. And Chris, for now, I think for the first nine episodes or eight more of these, we've got Nick Yamana back at his desk, but you know, then that's it. I think uh, the, the Vandal might be the last one where we see Nick. It is. The Vandal is Nick's last episode. Yeah, he's in, I believe he's in eight episodes in this season, and The Vandal is his last one. Yeah. yeah. I only say eight or nine just because of this weird two-parter right, thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And this is the season that ends with the Jack Sue retrospective, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. something to look forward to slash not look forward to. Yeah. Right. So. right. And by the way, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think that baby broker episode is the one I was referencing earlier about um, Getty's wife or girlfriend or whatever. Oh, okay. She's, she's in and, that episode. And Getty's was uh, kidnapped in 1973. I looked that up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So five years prior to this. Right. Yeah, that's a weird that that is a a, a strange story because I remember looking into it when I was when I was doing covering that baby broker episode. Yeah. What a yeah. great name for an episode, baby broker. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Season five is another solid season. So looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Otto, for being on the show. This has been terrific. It's great having you back. Thank you guys for having me. I love, I, you know, I love hanging out with you guys talking about this, man. I love, you know, me, I love talking about Barney and, uh, I am still have not tired of it. So well, anytime, anytime you want me back, I'm happy to happy to drop in. Excellent. Well, we look forward to talking with you again and, uh, definitely for sure. We're going to get you on the projection booth next year. I don't know if Chris is ever going to have you on the culture cast. Probably not, but you never culture know. Cast, then what are they all 25? And then I'm like, I would be like a dinosaur. Wouldn't I? Mo- I wouldn't even, I don't I think, I think, I don't think there is anyone younger than me on that show. I think you're right. I think Begley's a little bit older than me. Cullen's probably between our ages. Richard, yeah. I can't remember how old Richard's Richard older is. than Richard's older than you. That's right. Not by much, though. I don't think like the same thing with Mark. 53. I think Mark's only two years older than me. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't make it. Don't make assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. Make an assumption. You won't get an invitation. <laughs> well, so, I mean, Chris, you are literally uh, young enough to be my child. It's true. And in an alternate universe. That's that's how you are. You you are Topo Gigio in an alternate. You are Lumanti in an alternate universe. Yeah. Mouse. Well, Lumanti, I don't mind. The Topo <laughs> Gigio, I wasn't quite as I wasn't quite as taken with Topo Gigio as I was with Pepino. <laughs> Pepino 
And what a woman, yeah. Peppina, oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? Find yourself another house to run around and play. You scare my girl, you eat my cheese, you even drink my wine. I've tried so hard to catch you, but you trick me all the time. Ci stanno usure, gilla, basciusella, redumur. Ogni sera che l'esce quando la casa è scura. In domenica da cucina balla sul sul, ma parlo malandrina pura gatta sa paura. Peppino usure gilla, ma fatta scompare. Mannaggio usure gilla, a casa in addai. Stasera in da cucina non può che vina già lassà. E quando sempre ha che Peppino già ingappà. No, I'm a calabrese, I'm not. The other night I called my girl, I asked her, could we meet? I said, let's go to my house, we could have a bite to eat. And as we walked in through the door, she screamed at what she saw. There was little Peppina doing a cha-cha on the floor. Peppino Zurigilla, my father's scumbari. Manna Zurigilla, a cousin at Dai. If I ever catch, I'm gonna throw you right in a bagnaro. Quella non ci piace formaggio americano. Quella va trovando no poche parmungiana. Se fatta giatta giatta, gusta vita buona. E quando che la cammina para proprio in un calandone. Peppino surgilla, ma fatta scomparì. Mannaggio surgilla, a casa in Addai. Stasera in da cucina, no poche vina già lassà. E quando sempre a cappina già in gappà. Ah, oh, you're a nice man. Close your eyes and put your hand in the box. Oh, mannaggia, you're a mouse trap. Hey, malandri.